You're listening to a bonus episode of the Accounting Influencers Podcast, Talent in Accounting, with Rob Brown. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers, and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Welcome to another of our talent specials on the Accounting Influencers Podcast. I'm thrilled to have you today, an old friend and uh, guest of the show, Jeremy Harmon. Good day, sir. How are you, Rob? We're splendid, Jeremy. We do these talent specials every now and again on the show because we know what a challenge recruitment is for accounting firms. Just for the benefit of people that haven't come across you, tell us a little bit about what you do. We uh, advise an awful lot of firms uh, in the UK and slightly wider afield as well. Uh, we're independent advisors and we talk about matters concerning technology and the processes that, that use technology within the firm. So talking about recruitment is a, maybe a bit of a sidestep for us, but we see the face of recruitment and the kind of resource firms need really changing in the next year, two years, three years, as more and more technologies come into the mainstream. Yeah, it's great to be talking to you about the influence of technology on the recruitment process because when we look at the items on the agenda of managing partners and leaders of big firms at the moment tech is up there and people is up there as well so these two tell us how they're intertwined well i mean when, when we talk to firms and we say where, where are the pressure points it, it's funny people outside of the industry perhaps be surprised at the answer it's not sales it's not winning clients it is all around delivery right simply getting work out the door uh, and Traditionally, that you know, the stack within an accountancy firm has been varying degrees of, of seniority sitting in a hierarchy, uh, and the work gets pushed down, at least in theory, to the lowest cost delivery point where competent delivery can be expected. Um, if you're not bringing in enough people, you don't have enough resource. And so what happens is the work gets pushed up to more and more expensive people who've got less and less time. Your cost of delivery goes up, your profit goes down, and growth is stifled. So the way to unlock that is to provide more enablement at lower levels within the firm, or to eliminate those lower level tasks and push them onto automated platforms instead. One of the surprising things about the pandemic as we emerge out of it now and come back to some kind of normalcy is that firms have actually grown. And that may be incidentally, because as you say, they haven't focused on sales and business development. They maybe put some marketing out, but it might be more in the form of communications and PR and here's how I'm managing and here's the latest government update on the pandemic and the way tax is changing. But they've grown perhaps because clients have demanded more of them. They've needed to navigate the complexity of COVID and how things are changing. So capacity requirements have gone up, haven't they? Yeah, there are two things that we see. First of all, during COVID, there was much more demand for uh, assistance from you know state bodies. And that was often delivered through or with the advice of accountants. Um, so they were the you know sort of surprise, uh, <laughs> surprise heroes a bit for, for, for that particular route to assistance. Uh, and also work got put off during COVID because there was more uncertainty than we have now. And of course that work has still been hovering about and is now being executed. So there's still a, a backwash, if you like, of, of, of load from there. It means firms are incredibly busy and, and unable to keep up with workloads. And firms have been quite reactive in that, in that a proactive message might go out, we're here for our clients, call us if you need us, but then those phones keep ringing and ringing. So they find themselves handling more queries from existing clients to say, look, I'm navigating this, help me through it, which is great. It creates more work, more revenue opportunities, but it starts to stretch the limits of capacity for professional firms. Yeah, it really does. And also, you know, we've moved out of a cozy world of nine to five working. So when you had when you had capacity constraints, 
but at least they were contained within say a nine to five pattern we could bring in more people and whatever but but now look at things everything's changed we don't have simply the need for a bigger office because people are not in an office they're at home so we have a we have a technology requirement to deliver in a in a kind of a, a distributed workforce uh, often in non-optimal environments um second of all our clients are themselves distributed and working in different ways so we may find our peak demand is at seven o'clock in the evening after people have finished their day job and then want to do something. Now, you, you can solve that through resource, but A, that assumes that there is resource to be had. B, it assumes that the resource you bring in wants to be doing it and C, that they want to be doing it at that time. Right? So, for example, instead having some degree of automation or, or a bot that can handle those out of hours, as it were, tasks at a low level actually benefits everyone. You know, it benefits the people you're trying to recruit because they don't want to be doing that work then. And it benefits clients because it gives them an out of hours solution. You talk about work being passed up. Once work starts to increase coming into the firm, more delivery needs to be done. A certain amount of slack is taken up with the technology, isn't it? With the automation. And then a certain amount of slack is taken up with people that weren't working all the chargeable hours they could do. So they start to fill up and then we get to the edges. Talk to us about how technology has filled some of the gaps in capacity. I think that it has uh, allowed the drudge work to be removed from the stack, right? So, so when you look at, at a firm, and interestingly, when you look at the value equation that clients apply, the thing that nobody likes is raw processing work. Okay? So take, take as an example, payroll. Right? Most firms operate some kind of payroll bureau function. And you might have a client that every month will send in data in the client's preferred format. And every month we had someone in payroll beavering away, tapping away, taking the data from the format in which it arrived, putting it into the format that we wanted in so that we could then run the payroll. No one ever said back to the client, can you please do it in our format? And the client, frankly, doesn't want to. The client's quite happy doing it the way that they do it. And instead, by inserting some automation, we can say, look, every month we're going to get data from our client. It will be in a format that looks a bit like this. Transform it into this format here where we can process it. Now, that is saving, you know, a couple of hours of payroller time that we can now take out of the equation and they can do something more useful with. That is a good thing. It's a good thing because the client resented paying for that transformation work in the first place. And the average employee didn't want to be doing it either. It's hardly fulfilling work to have data in format A and just type it up in format. I mean, listen, some people might enjoy that, but we don't really want those people on our payroll, if I'm blunt. So, so that's a good example of automation, simply releasing resource and pleasing both clients and staff all at the same time. And we'll get on to recruitment as a solution for getting extra capacity, but there are beyond the technology and beyond recruitment, there are other means for firms to increase capacity, aren't there? Well, you can push some of the work out to your clients, um, just, as, just as a kind of an obvious one. Um, so, you know, every firm has a tail of clients that are not paying enough for the level of work that they are receiving. And a certain amount of that can be pushed back to the client. So, for example, moving to cloud accounting and insisting that your client does so as well takes a lot of load and pushes that back out to clients. So, yeah, there are definitely strategies that you can adopt to do that. There's another avenue that firms are starting to go down, which is the outsourcing and offshoring to bring in extra capacity to deliver. I have two reservations about that, if I'm honest. Um, the first, well, I'm always honest, but <laughs> I have two reservations. <laughs> the, the, the first is that it is a short-term solution. So in most markets where you can find an outsourced partner, what actually happens is the cost of the labor in those outsourced markets starts to creep up. So you may have a window of some years even where the, the provision of services offshore are cheaper than onshore, but they tend to, after a period of time, get so close that the benefit evaporates. The second thing is that unless you are very careful in how you package that work back to your client, they will 
detect that you're using an offshore service. They will either object to that because for whatever reason, they don't want you to be doing that, or they will simply demand a lower fee to reflect the fact that your costs have come down. And I am not necessarily, therefore, a massive fan of that offshoring. We're playing devil's advocate. Do clients really care if the work's getting done, Jeremy? Who actually does it? Not many, but they do care that they're paying what they perceive as a premium onshore price for what they perceive as a non-premium offshore delivery service. And there will be a markup in that for the accountant or someone at the firm to manage that project, to manage that work. Yeah, there will be. But, but also, do you know, it's not like a very clever solution. I, 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 hear, I hear what you say, but if all we're doing is finding a human resource more cheaply in, in order to be uh, efficacious in solving our problem, it's a bit lazy. Why aren't we really looking at what the issue is and how we can be clever in solving it rather than simply finding a cheaper person? At some level, it doesn't play well with me anyway. Just looking for cheap labor to do a job. At some level, I find that unfulfilling. Now, you talk to leaders in professional firms all over the world, and you will be asking them what their plans are for growth because you speak into the technology needs for that growth, but it speaks to people as well. And are you hearing like I am that most firms still have not aggressive growth targets, but optimistic growth targets? Maybe they've grown. 5, 10, 20% during COVID, maxed out capacity, but they're still thinking they can continue that if they're getting more people. Are, are you hearing good growth targets? Oh, yeah. I mean, they weren't doing 5, 10, 15% in COVID. They were doing 20 and 30% in COVID. Wow, okay. They they are looking for good growth targets. Uh, they, they see that growth will come from, at least in, in the case of most of our clients, remaining as independent, well-run uh, and impressive firms. So, so the market is really divided between those firms that are being consolidated into a couple of big players um, who are good, but perhaps a little anodyne, right? It's a very corporate service. And those large regional or, 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 or non-regional independent firms that see growth opportunities by bringing clients and talent out of those big consolidated firms and into their own uh, sort of four walls and are doing very well with that. And I think their growth targets are ambitious but actually quite achievable. Well, any growth target, if you're at maximum capacity, requires an increased headcount. So it brings us to recruitment. How are we bringing people in, not just at the lower end and the graduates and the younger generation, but how are we building into our recruitment policy, those strategic hires, those senior hires, those lateral hires at higher levels, so we've got capacity at all stages? Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a technology guy, and so... I will confine my answer to or my comments to, to those which have got a sort of a technology flavor, if I may. But I think recruitment is about, at least nowadays, is about the quality of the job we can offer to somebody. Right? So it used to be only about pay or about whatever. And we used to measure the conditions in the quality of the office or whatever it's going to be. I see now the quality being in the nature of the work we would ask somebody to undertake. So, so if I were recruiting and I said, look, come along and um, this is going to be your job. Yeah, you've got a fairly uh, uh, boring job, I'm afraid. You're going to be doing a lot of data entry. You're going to be using Excel just to transform information. And by the way, this is your computer, which is like three years old. Um, <laughs> and the screens, well, we're going to update them next year. Uh, and yeah, I'm sorry that we don't really have a CRM, but you can find all the information across these six or seven systems. And if you don't know, ask John. To me, I wouldn't go and work there. right? But And also compare it to the, their experience of using technology elsewhere. Their iPad is fantastic. Their laptop is fabulous. Their two screens are great. So why would I go somewhere which doesn't offer all of that and where the job itself, I know, could be done better by a robot anyway? It just doesn't appeal. So, so I think technology can build to the qualitative appeal of the job specification. And by the way, it is also then perceived as a more valuable job in the eyes of clients who ultimately I've got to deal with every day.
So I'm on, I'm on the front foot from day one. There's so much in what you're saying there. When I talk to leaders of talent, heads of people, these new roles are coming out now in professional firms. They are talking about their employer brand, which speaks to their culture, why it's a great place to work. But when you get behind that, why somewhere is a great place to work, it comes down to, as you say, the nature of the work. Am I doing interesting work with interesting clients and interesting projects, but also the nature of the work environment? Nobody, well, very few people are working 100% remote. So there's that hybrid, what does things look like when I actually come into the office. So there's that environment, which speaks partly to culture, but partly to the infrastructure, the processes, the technology that has to be the latest spec. Otherwise, you're not going to attract the quality of people that you want. No, and these things can be tangential as well. So you talk about employer brand being important. Employer brand is damaged, for example, by a security leak, right? So, so you wouldn't necessarily see the connection between the two, but it's awkward for me to work at a firm where there's been a, a security issue, which, is, which has been widely publicized, I carry some of the awkwardness of that. Less so than it used to be the case, but there are elements like that. It's, it's like working with somewhere where there's been an employment issue and you think, well, I don't really want that brand tarnishing my personal brand. And remember, we are an employee-led at the moment. Right? Employees are in charge, not, not the employer. Um, also, just in, in terms of sort of the, that, that, that quality of, of work and, and, and the type of work that we're doing, I, I give as an example, you know, talk about the old world of accounting and the new world of accounting. Yeah, let, let's say you outsource your bookkeeping to your firm of accountants, right? Lots and lots of clients will be doing that. If all that you're getting in return for your X hundred pounds a month or X thousand pounds a month is a processing service, that's not very appealing either to the recipient, the client, or to the processor. They want to have some narrative. Yep, they want uh, they really want an email back every month saying, well, this month your business did really well. This month, these are risks that you should be considering that are affecting you. This month, you've had lots of sales and therefore next month, you're going to have a working capital requirement. If all that they get back is the same report that they could have pressed a button and seen in zero for themselves, where's the value in that? So it is neither appealing for the client nor the employee. But to what degree, going back to the role of technology, can chat GPT and artificial intelligence take the role of that? We, we know that it can produce the data in various formats. To a degree, it can interpret the data it's not quite the true ultimate trusted advisor, but it can certainly make recommendations. Yeah, chat GPT, BARD, whatever you're going to use, great tool, right? It, when, when people ask me about the role of AI in accountancy firms, it's a bit like asking about the role of Excel, right? It, it, if, if I went to a firm of accountants and said, well, how do, how do you do your mathematical modeling? And they got out a pen and pencil, right? And a piece of paper and a slide rule, I probably wouldn't appoint them, right? I would expect them to be using a series of tools that make them able to focus on the efficiency of production so they can spare some time for advice. In the same way, ChatGPT or BARD or whatever AI you're going to use is a terrific tool, but it becomes an even better tool in the hands of an experienced user. And the experienced user is your accountant. If I went on to ChatGPT and said, I'm going to tell you my tax information, please tell me what you think I should do as my return. Well, okay, I think that that's not the client that my firm would want. Right? But I fully expect my advisors to use it. It's a quicker way of finding out information, to check something, to model something, to confirm something, but it's not the ultimate arbiter in the delivery of advice. It's just a tool. That's an interesting take on the recruitment problem, given that accounting firms are asking their people to do more and more with admittedly more and more tools, but you've got to utilize the AI tools and the chat GPT and everything else to work productively. So we get higher fees from you higher quality work for the clients, we might not necessarily need to increase headcount in that case. But Rob, if, if I were hiring you at my accountancy firm, right, here, here's the interview. Rob, have you ever used Excel? Yes. 
right. But if you said at that point, no, I suspect the interview would end fairly sharply, right? So the next interview for next month is going to be, Rob, have you ever used ChatGPT? And can you tell me how? That, that's where we're going, right? So, so what that will do is it will both reduce the volume of headcount that I need and also, but more importantly, change the quality of headcount that I need. So if I were looking in, if I were looking to be recruited by an accountancy firm, which I think both for me and the accountancy firm were all pleased I am not. But if I were, I would think, well, what skills do I need? I certainly need to have those, you know, regulatory skills and, and, and the ability to know what compliance is and governance and all of those things, privacy, secrecy, client confidentiality, whatever we're going to have. But also it's how do I use the modern toolkit at my disposal? And that toolkit is changing very rapidly. You know, to learn the rules of VAT, I need to learn something that was written many months or years ago. To know how to use AI properly, I need to be right on the ball. And that's a message to people who are in the market to be recruited. You've got to be on top of your game. And this is where the game's at. So the ability to use the tools and that technology expertise is becoming more uh, significant. We're seeing a leaching of talent out of accounting. We're seeing less and less people taking accounting degrees. And all says that the talent pool is shrinking. So there's more and more firms fighting for less and less talent is there a case then to be made, Jeremy, that perhaps if you were leading an accounting firm, you would hire technology specialists to do some of the work that accountants were previously doing? I would do it, but with extreme caution. <laughs> I would do it with extreme caution. I certainly think that accountants need to bulk out their technology ability somewhat. Um, but they also need to not become technology businesses. Right? The things that make them good accountants are the things that make them good accountants. Technology is an enabler. Yeah, it's not it's not the end of deliverable for most firms. And the firms that I've seen move down the technology path too far have sometimes lost sight of the value proposition that they should be putting in front of their clients. So so bringing in technology talent within the firm for things like integration, for things like workflow processing, for things like automation, for things like AI makes a lot of sense. Right? But uh, going too far down that route, you lose sight of yourself a little bit and I would be a little bit cautious. Better to Better to contract in a specialist to deliver something for you than to become that specialist yourself, I think. I understand that. But let's say I'm a mid-tier accounting firm and I'm running at 5%, 10% of vacancies. So I've got maybe 150 people in my firm and I've got 10 to 15 open vacancies right now that I know I need to fill in order to hit the growth targets for my firm. Those people are just not out there. I'm not getting enough CVs and resumes. Uh, the people that are coming to interview are not high enough quality or there's not enough of them. So we've got all of that going on. Yep. I'm asking, can we apportion some of that capacity to the technology side of things and hire less accountants to do more of the advisory stuff? And there's a team of people underneath them without being derogatory, they're processing the data and doing a lot of the manuals. I have a, I have a variety of answers to that question, which are on a scale of controversy. <laughs> have at it then. Okay, so one answer to that is yes, you can. Right. right. So you can bring in some data people, some reporting people, some automation integration people that will reduce your requirements in terms of headcount for that work. That's me being very simplistic though, isn't it? It's what you're not saying. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm not quite saying that, but but I suppose I'm saying every mid-tier firm should really have those people. I don't think those are new positions. They should okay. really have them. I'm also not convinced, by the way, that it's any easier to recruit those positions than the accountancy ones, right? as it happens. But you, but you need to have that baseline. Um, it, it was very vogue to bring in data analysts to your firm. Yeah. Now, funnily enough, I'm not as sure about that as I used to be. And I think that's one of the key roles of AI going forward, because data analysis is looking at big chunks of data and coming up with conclusions and recommendations, which is kind of what AI does. And certainly some initiatives from vendors, particularly Microsoft, to embed AI into their 
core production products. So Microsoft Copilot is a is a is a is a surfacing of ChatGPT into Office 365. Yet we're seeing it in Bing, the world's worst search engine is suddenly becoming quite a good search engine with the addition of some AI in there. Maybe not the worst search engine, but but not at the top. And so and so once you start combining the, the skills of AI or the abilities of AI with your domain information, do I really need a data analyst when I can just say to ChatGPT, who are my best clients and who are my worst clients and get an instant answer? Not sure. So so the nature of who we need to recruit in that technology space is is still changing quite rapidly. I want to give you my most controversial answer, but I'll save that for a minute. Okay. Yeah. Well, we don't want to associate the word creative with accounting too strongly, <laughs> but accounting firms do need to get more creative in their recruitment approach because if the talent pool is shrinking, they need to reach clients that are, sorry, candidates that are harder and harder to reach. It then becomes a factor of who is paying the most sometimes and who is offering the best terms. Yeah, or as I say, the best work. Yeah, I still believe that the key relationship between technology and recruitment is to make the job better. Yeah, that, that's got to be right up there. As soon as you can say to a candidate, the job that you're going to come and do for us is terrific. And here's why. And I've taken out of the job all the things that don't require human effort. And all you're left with is the cream, right? The, the advisory, the client relationship, the, 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 the insights. I think that's hugely appealing. And, and firms would do well, instead of focusing on just pay or loosely what we call conditions, what's the qualitative consideration? How can I make that job irresistible? Right. When someone comes along and they're looking at five firms who will pay them the same money, why am I the best? And I think the answer is because the work is the most enjoyable. You're going to be doing this job eight, 10, 12 hours a day sometimes. I think you would like to enjoy it. And if I think of all of the frustrations that users have with their IT, they're right up at the top of why they don't enjoy their jobs. So how about we solve those and say to somebody, come here, it's going to be brilliant. The first day you start, this is the laptop that will be on your desk working. Yep. The first time you send an email, this is all going to work with all the data that you need to have. These are the things that, that really irritate people and therefore solving them makes this a better place to work than anywhere else. Very good. Do you get a sense too that with the great resignation and the great recalibration of work-life balance that people don't just want interest in work now, they want some element of fulfillment, of making a difference, of producing great results and partnering with clients for success, whatever that looks like. Yeah, but to do that, they need time to do it. And to have time to do it, they need to not be caught up with, with kind of diversions into dealing with their IT. It needs to just work and be brilliant. And that way, they have got exactly the time to do what you say, partner with a client and sort out stuff, yet make the client's business even better, deal with a problem the client's got in an intelligent way. The constraint people have is time. What are the good firms doing ultimately, Jeremy, that are keeping them competitive in the marketplace for talent. What I have seen firms do to great effect is to start to stream the way that they are delivering services to their clients. Okay, so that, that they, are, they are creating alignment between systems, the staff that they have and the clients that they serve so that they are segmenting their clients, moving those that can be automated, can move to self-service, can be um, helped through all automatic points of contact with the firm into a segment of delivery where they belong, where the fee that they pay is, is profitable, and therefore moving their, their staff and their recruitment policies to deal with the clients that most need it and are most willing to pay for it. That is the key to fulfillment. And, and that's what I'm seeing the very best firms do. It's quite brave to do that, but that's the best way to do it. One of the challenges I see, even for those good firms, though, is that they don't communicate what they're doing very well. So their website looks and sounds the same as everybody else. They've got similar case studies and testimonials of we're a great place to work, but there's no proof or evidence for that. I think that's a, that's a very wide question. 
Um, I have never seen a firm, for example, publish its IT failure rate as part of its <laughs> recruitment page on its website. Would they do that? Uh, I think that would be a brave step. Well, they would certainly put vacancies, but I'm speaking to real people telling real stories about, I work here, I've worked here for five years. Why do you like it there? Well, it's great. The culture's terrific. Why is the culture great? Well, they give us fantastic work and they free us up to do this and they allow me to pick up my kids from school. I guess we're speaking back into employer brand. Or, or we make a real difference for our clients and clients tell us so. Can you give us an example? Yes, I work with this client. So it's going beyond some text to say we do great work on their website, which is essentially the shop window for recruitment for accounting firms. Yeah. And starting to tell those success stories with real people in real ways that says this is the real deal. As Muhammad Ali, the boxer, used to say, it ain't bragging if you've done it. So that gets more resumes in the door. It gets more people seeing from the outside that this is worth trying to get an interview for in your recruitment process. Also, though, you're playing here to like an issue, say, with UK firms more than with, say, US firms. So quite often on a US firm, I will read about a technology project that they've successfully executed, the improvement that it could deliver across the firm. And, and, and they're quite comfortable talking about success. And UK firms are certainly somewhat more reserved in that particular department, and maybe they shouldn't be. And if they are reserved, the IT people are the most reserved amongst that. So, yeah, I do think there's room to brag a little more. And as we draw to a close, Jeremy, getting your crystal ball out, what do you feel is coming up for recruitment in professional firms over the next few years? How might things change? Honest answer, I think smaller and more profitable firms is the way forward. You know, we, we, we measure success quite often in terms of headcount. Yeah, this is a firm with 500 staff, with 1,000 staff. I don't really think that's material. Yeah, actually, I want to hear about a firm's profit margin. Yeah, or it's about its, its productivity ratio or its, or, its, or its utilization. And we are still wedded to a world where headcount means something. That's part of our recruitment challenge. We should really be looking at how can we be the most profitable firm we can be, look after our clients as well as we can at the lowest possible cost. And it's very rare that that lowest possible cost includes an expansion in headcount. Right? We really need to take a, a knife to why we have people in the firm and make sure that wherever we can get by without a human resource, we do. And, and the challenge, by the way, for the industry on that one, Rob, is that an awful lot of accountants came into the profession not to speak to clients, but to sit down and do calculations and sit in a back office. And that world is, is disappearing fast. So, so what we're talking about here is a changing culture to the accountant as the advisor as the client confidant, as the person with insight and foresight who can sit with a client, partner with them, as you said, and really help them along. And that is a different beast, perhaps, than we've had until now. Yes, and that's not going to happen without technology, which is very much your sweet spot. So answer that question again about what's coming up for recruitment, but with specific reference to technology and how that's going to change the game. The impact of technology and recruitment will be through the widespread use of automation, and through the very nearly as widespread use of AI, where we are taking disciplines that were traditionally executed by human resource, moving them onto machines, and therefore demanding that our human resource is more client-focused and more client-facing. We will need perhaps fewer people, but people of much higher quality and with a different, much broader skill set in terms of human relations than the profession has hitherto seen. Jeremy, this has been excellent. Just in closing, tell us a little bit more about what Jeremy Hyman Associates do, because you've got a highly skilled and experienced team there speaking into the technology needs of professional firms. Just unpack that a bit for us. Yeah, so Jeremy Hyman Associates is a team of now 13 associates, uh, mainly in the UK, but with uh, one or two in the US as well. 
and we work with firms um, of all different sizes and uh, all different aspirations to see how they can most usefully uh, choose and then implement and adopt technology for the growth and profitability of their firm. Why would they need that? Can't they do that themselves? They haven't got time um, often. They haven't got perspective and they don't have the experience that I think we bring to the market. Um, or they go to their vendors for advice and the vendors, I'm afraid, are more interested in the vendor than they are in them. Uh, we offer a truly independent, highly experienced uh, team who can help them make the right decisions and see the benefits of that far into the future. Final question for you. Are you hopeful for the future of accounting and the profession as a whole, or are you a little bit anxious? No, I'm hopeful. Um, the accountant has ever really been in the position of the most trusted advisor for most businesses. You know, if they talk to their lawyers, I don't think they have the same relationship. Talk to their bank or their finance people, they certainly don't have the same relationship. The accountant has always been a reliable, friendly, uh, useful, uh, professional in their armory of advisors. What will happen over the next few years is that transactional advice will start to reduce and professional insightful advice will increase. That will be a challenge for the people in the profession, but I see it as a, an improvement to the profession overall. And that position of trusted advisor will become ever more valuable. There is hope. Jeremy Harmon, thank you so much. That's been exceptional. Thank you, Rob. It's always a pleasure. listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast.